0: Welcome to Psalm 39. This again is a psalm of David. Though it cannot be connected to any specific point in his life, it is possible that it was from his last few years of life. But it is very clear that David is being disciplined by God. Verses 10, David says, Remove your plague from me, for I am consumed by the blow of your hand. Now, just to clarify it again, does God punish us for our sins? No. The punishment for our sins are taken upon by Christ on the cross. God's punishing anger is deflected at the cross of Calvary. But what may still come our way is not his punishing anger, but his disciplining anger, which of course has a positive and loving purpose. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, 5-11, the author writes, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. But also remember, sin has its consequences. David's life is a classical example, isn't it? God forgives him, and yet the ripple effect of sin spirals down through his generation. Now here, David is under God's disciplining anger, and he's been corrected by God. But may I say, when one is being corrected by God, it is perhaps the most baffling experience of life. And here is a poem that is anonymous, but this is so good. And it's so appropriate in the context of our study today. It says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, and when God wants to mold a man to play his noblest part, when he earns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method and watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he so royally elects, How he hammers him and hurts him, with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay only which God can understand. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts his beseeching hands. How God bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God alone knows what he is about. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man, you play his noblest part. As I said, when God plays this noblest part of molding us, the process is extremely baffling for the child of God. The process is extremely bewildering for the child of God. This process, in fact, stands the risk of us misunderstanding God's love and the risk of disbelief as well. But may I also say, this does not mean that when you are going through this process of life, you cannot question God. In fact, David sees no contradiction in having both faith and questions. He sees no contradictions in having both faith and questions. In fact, to have faith does not mean you have no more questions. It is the questioning faith, I think, the thinking faith, I think, that strengthens our everyday faith. It is the questioning faith, the thinking faith, that strengthens our everyday faith. But here David says, Although I am so aching to talk about my suffering and my questions of faith, I will not, I will not in the presence of the wicked, because if I do so, They will misunderstand my loyalty to God. They will misquote me and think that I am criticizing God and for their sake, I will keep my mouth shut. Now, what does this mean? You will have questions about your faith. May I say, the more you progress in your walk with the Lord, the more questions perhaps. But when you do, do not raise it before those who will misunderstand you, but raise it before those who will help you and see you through. And that is why I think it is so important for us to be a part of a small group, part of people who are broken and saved by the grace of the Lord and they're doing life together and journeying together and yet learning and leaning on God and discovering about their faith. For David here, he raises his questions before God. He would not speak his fears and doubts before the wicked, but he would pour them out before the Lord himself. It is Charles Spurgeon who said the wends of our soul must be Godwards and not towards man for who can understand the anguish of soul but God alone and from verses 4 to 6 David is seeking God's wisdom over his life when he is being corrected and from verses 12 to 13 he turns to God trusting in him in a season of being corrected and that too with a humble prayer he says hear my prayer o lord and give ear to my cry Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you. Notice, he does not say, I'm a stranger from God, but a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and I am no more. Now, here is a man who is still undergoing trial and yet has found the secret place of communion with God. We can still be going through our trials of life, but yet we can find a secret, a secret place of communion with our God. Yes, you will go through trial times that you will not have no clue about. God will ruthlessly perfect us with blows that converts us to trial shapes of clay, only which God can understand. But remember, He alone can bend us and not break us. He can mold us in such ways that His splendor is worked out so that the whole world may see it and be amazed. So my friends, do not give up when you face questions of life. Turn to God and talk out this with Him. And may I pray that the words of the Son would become our prayer. It will become your prayer as well. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father. Help me not to make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when you rebuke me. Because I'm told in Hebrews that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So thank you for your love and thank you for your constant watch over me. I know that this process is extremely baffling for me, and yet I want to thank you for the access that I have to God the Father through my Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I can plead for mercy. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.